This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. On tonight's show, we're spotlighting a recent release, The Survival of Kindness. The film uh, tells the story of Black Woman, a woman who is left uh, in a trailer in a cage in the middle of the desert and abandoned. Um, But she is not ready to pass. She escapes and walks through pestilence and persecution from desert to canyon to mountain to city. Uh, And The Survival of Kindness opened in cinemas around Australia the other week and I'm joined here in the studio tonight by lead actor Mujami Hussain. Hello. Thank you. Yes. Composer Annie Leibzeit. Hi. Hi, Anna. And writer, producer and director of The Survival of Kindness, Rolf Tahir. Hi, Flick. Hi, Rolf. So thank you all for joining me tonight and and welcome to Primal Screen. It is a tremendous honour to have you here in the studio to discuss this powerful and and really quite unsettling film. I just watched it the other day. Um, Rolf, many listeners will be familiar with your filmography. Uh, You've had over 20 directing credits uh, to your name and almost 30 projects produced, so I won't go through that exhaustive list. Let's not do that. (laughs) No, not good radio. You are one of Australia's most awarded and prolific directors. Uh, Your 1993 film Bad Boy Bubby was awarded the Special Jury Prize at Venice and your three feature-length fiction film collaborations with the iconic actor David uh, Gulpilil have been highly awarded. Uh, These films include The Tracker, Ten Canoes from 2006 and Charlie's Country from 2013. Uh, I was introduced to your work in my first year of film school and actually wrote the entry uh, for the Australian Film Database at Murdoch University on your 2003 film, Alexandra's Project. So it is is really quite surreal and wonderful to have you sat opposite me uh, decades later discussing your latest film. Thank you. It's quite an introduction. I'm <laughs> uh, not sure I deserve all that, but never mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, so how did you go with writing the intro to Alexandra's project? Well, it was it was more of a summary. Actually, it was a really great project. Um, it was for all film students to um, basically create a database of Australian cinema. Uh, and so it still exists somewhere online. I'm sure yep. you can kind of seek yep. it out. But it was a really great way just to... Um, look at the amazing diversity of cinema that we've create that's been created here, um, and just the range of genres. And in your own filmography, we see we see that as well. Um, now you've said in interviews, uh, just talking on the survival of kindness, that you've said in interviews that the COVID um, Black Lives Matter nexus was impossible for you to ignore during the writing process, and that every time that you were writing a scene. Um, this nexus made itself known. Now, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests brought the impact and the long history of uh, systemic racism to the forefront of, of, of public discussion. Uh, and the pandemic really has, has brought into quite sharp focus the racial disparity in healthcare. Can you talk us through how you understand the nexus between COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement? And kind of how it worked its way into the script? Um, they were 
heady times in a way, um, heady not always in, in a positive sense, but um, there was this tremendous outpouring of need to protest uh, at a time when it was illegal to protest. Mm. And, and that was, you know, that was a great sort of almost a contradiction um, that, that led to scenes of violence and police brutality and, um, and it was happening in, in numbers of countries of the world. And I, I was at the time also in close connection with a uh, collaborator I have in, in England and he was very vulnerable to COVID um, such that he was um, shielded, which meant that he saw no other people other than a cleaner who came once a week and who turned up in a hazmat suit so that he wouldn't be able to get sick. Um, and, and so he was like the embodiment because he was of, of Indian origin and in, in India he's considered to be British and in Britain he's considered to be Indian and he, and he's, he, he was quite a commentator on all of this um, from a very personal point of view. Um, and so it just, it, it was, you know, I would speak to him twice or three times a week uh, and it was you know, because he had no one to talk to, you know, effectively. Um, and, and, and it, it, you know, it was everywhere in a way in my head. Um, and when I started with the content of what became the survival of kindness, um, it was the starting point was, you know, a black person in a cage on, the, on a trailer in the desert left to die. And you have all this other stuff happening, then it, it, it can't help but connect itself and off it goes and that's what it is. And my writing process was a bit different on this one and I could allow things to happen um, because it's a journey film and things can happen and, and it can be this or it can be that. And so I was in the position of, in a sense, allowing certain thoughts and not allowing other thoughts to happen in, in, in the script. Um, but with the, that collision that was be between the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, um, I just let it go there because it mm. seemed like a very good thing. Mm. It's lovely hearing that, uh, that inspiration or, or that starting point because the film does seem almost something other than cinema. It almost has a mediation, uh, meditation feel to it, a meditative sense of, you know, these long shots and almost photo um, photography, art. It sort of seems more kind of leaning towards that sometimes. And even dance. There's a lovely sequence later on. It's, it's, it's interesting for me as well uh, because w one of the things I tried to do from the beginning was to create something cinematic, mm. particularly cinematic. And now what is cinematic? What is cinema? You know, they're great questions. But in, in the location choices, in, in the finding of them and, and in the scenes that came out of those choices, because that's largely what happened a lot of the time, that the scenes came from the location rather than the other way around, um, uh, all of that in the end combined to to 
give the effect for you that, that it did, um, that it is contemplative and meditative, I suppose. And contemplative in particular I quite like because that's, you know, if cinema can do something to provoke a thought process, then it, it has some chance of having some meaning mm. uh, beyond entertainment, which is enough meaning in its own right, but, I mean, this, this, is, this film is more about um, being, being provoked into thinking and, and just coming away from a cinematic experience, which is meant to be a good one, uh, coming away from it um, yeah, with perhaps thinking about things one hadn't thought about in that way before. Mm. And so you're shooting this during the, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but you're shooting this during the COVID lockdowns, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what, I mean, I understand um, that you shot in Tasmania and South Australia. Were the reasons that you're shooting there because of those border closures and... Uh, uh, to an extent, yeah. uh, that, that, that played into it. One of the things I tried to do was create a film project that was COVID nimble mm. so that we wouldn't suffer um, bad conditions, that we wouldn't suffer unfinished films. That, mm. that you know, and, and most of the projects at the time were really having to plough through all the COVID business. And, mm. and so I thought we would make a film just before I knew what it was going to be about that we would make a film that you know we would shoot nearly all outside or if, all outside if we can mm. uh, very small crew remote locations they're all very helpful in terms of surviving COVID mm. and and that's what we did we survived it incredibly well with very very little effect on anything that we did and Tasmania and South Australia were too I mean Western Australia had it the best because they were completely locked away from the rest of Australia mm. and we couldn't go there. No. <laughs> um, but of the rest of Australia, um, both Tasmania and South Australia fared relatively well and were pretty friendly in terms of shooting. And, and they were two, also the two states I knew the best. Mm. <clears throat> and in terms of knowing where to look for locations... That was relatively mm. much easier for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Jamie, you're you're in the lead role um, as as just this character is simply known as Black Woman, and it's actually only ever really known in the end credits. Um, you know, prior to taking on the lead role in the survival of, of kindness, I understand you'd never been in a cinema before. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and you hadn't acted, of course, I in a film before. I never acted before. This yeah. is the first time. So how did you first hear about <laughs> Rolf's project and, and why did you decide to put yourself forward? Yes, uh, in, in Adelaide um, I belong to few community groups um, and I have many friends uh, through those community groups. Uh, I received a phone call from one of our members from uh, the one of the community group I belong to she interested me to she encouraged me to apply for this position, the, 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 the role, um, and I I didn't want to because I was not sure they would take me and because I had no idea of any acting role, um, experience. And she really encouraged me to apply uh, because she said that the age and um, everything they said, uh, what they are looking for, it's, you fit, you can... You can 
you can fit if they will take you. Then I hesitated. I was I, I negotiated and I checked with my family and everyone said, why not try? Okay, and uh, I sent my application and then I thought, hmm, I think I should I should know exactly why and how I can I can act because I'm very curious to many things and I always challenge myself. So why not? I sent my application and then I met um, the uh, casting officer, if I can call her like that. Um, she met me and she asked me a few questions and then she said, yes, I think you, I'm happy with you and I will take your name to Rolf and if Rolf is interested, then they will call you. And I, uh, then they, they called me to meet Rolf. Then before I met Rolf, uh, after I knew exactly when I, meet, I will meet Rolf, I met one of my friends. And I said, I'm going to uh, another interview, job interview. What job? And I said, acting. So what? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not surprised you can. So do you think I can act? Yeah, 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 you can. And, and who is that? And I said, Rolf De Heer. I said, wow. <laughs> Rolf De Heer, do you know that? I said, no, I this person, oh my God, my Jamie, go, 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 go. And you do, do you know what they will? I said, I have no idea. What I said, I said, no, no, I, they just asked me to meet Rolf. Okay. So I went to meet <laughs> Rolf and we, uh, we had a good conversation and they asked me to come if they will be interested because he's going through other interviews with other people. So then they called me for the second time and that's how they took me and that's, yeah. Oh, it's amazing because you have um, – I was thinking about this the other day. I had David Wenham, who's an actor uh, you may be familiar with, um, on the show quite a while ago at the start of the mm. year. And one of the things he – the advice he gave for actors was that you just need to listen and mm. respond and really acting is is simply that, mm. uh, good acting. And I, I feel as though you do that. I know there's this is a film with not mm. much dialogue at all, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, mm. in more depth later in the hour. But – you you really are, your face is so expressive and your body is so expressive and there's so much being communicated in a non-verbal <laughs> sense. Um, it's really a spectacular debut. So um, well done Thank for you. applying yeah. and yeah. also I'm, I'm glad that you were, you were selected because um, – and I hope – you know, and, uh, and, and so am I, Flick. Yes. I'm very glad she was yeah. there. <laughs> I actually can't imagine anyone else in the role. It's kind of like you really do embody uh, this lead. It's, it's yeah, I'm glad I was selected, uh, to be honest, um, because now I feel like I have something that was hidden in, inside myself and and I can now I understand and I see much of myself which mm. I didn't know before. Mm. So I'm grateful to have this opportunity and thank you all for <laughs> using your brain and we are <laughs> and we are enjoying after using your brain. <laughs> Absolutely. Now Anna, you are this is your first uh, feature length film that you have done the score for, is that correct? Um, yes, the, yeah, it is. I've worked on other films, yep. um, long and short, yep. but this is the first um, composing role where I've yeah 
been able to go from the beginning to the end. Yeah. <laughs> so how was that for you? Were you um, – did you have an idea of, of kind of what you were thinking through conceptually of how to approach this? Like I understand mm. – I mean you've been – You've been doing audio projects for over 25 years now. That's yeah. a tremendously long career. Yeah. Um, I suppose firstly before we get into the film, how did you actually start in, in sound and, and, and kind of what other projects were you involved in? Um, well, just briefly, I was um, doing my honours in printmaking and um, in like <laughs> in the last century and I – uh, was working with print medium and was looking to go beyond the edge and I started folding prints and I was doing a residency at APW and it was really, that was like, oh no, she's bending her paper and, and I was looking for other edges and I had always been in bands and, do, you know, using four-track recorders and making music and, you know, whatnot. Um, and a friend of mine alerted me to a, an opportunity to work on a project and work with a mentor. Um, and so I decided to take the themes that I was looking at in my print work at the time and go into that, um, into that space, you know, that multidimensional space yeah, that sound yeah. affords. And I worked for a year with, um, with Stelios Adam and, um, Oh well, we worked on a pro- I worked on a project, and yeah, that I went from there. So I, I still draw and things like that. It informs my composition. That that sort of um, those design elements, visual aesthetic, tone, mm. texture, all those sort of um, mm. melodies, rather than a sort of formal notation, you know, um, arrangement sort of approach to composition. I guess. Mm. No, it's a really it's a really beautiful score, and I'd love to talk a bit more about it, particularly in relation to the fact that, as I mentioned before, there's not much dialogue, so there is a lot actually being communicated in the score, and and it it does definitely take us on a journey. Um, for listeners who have just tuned in, I am being joined by the lead actor of the Survival of Kindness, Mujami uh, Hussein, the composer Anna Liebzeit, and writer, producer, and director Rolf Tahir. And a slight correction to what I said just prior, um, The Survival of Kindness, Rolf Tahir's new film, is actually coming out in cinemas nationwide on May 4, not April 20. <laughs> Not sure where I plucked that date from my, from my head, but it, that's what came out. But May 4 is when you will be able to watch The Survival of Kindness in cinemas. So I'm joined tonight, um, as I said, by lead actor Majami Hussein composer Annie Liebzeit and writer-producer and director Rolf Tahir. Um, we mentioned before, Rolf, uh, some of the people who you've worked with, uh, sorry, some of your filmography. Now, several of your, several of your films are, are kind of position the First Nations experience and stories very much at the centre. Uh, I am, of course, referring to your film The Tracker, Ten Canoes in 2006, which was the first ever major Australian feature film to be completely filmed in Indigenous Aboriginal language. Uh, your series of short films called Twelve Canoes and, and Charlie's Country. Now, you were born in the Netherlands and you moved to Australia when you were, uh, what, eight or so? Eight, yes. yes. Um, so what is it that draws you to tell these stories? Um, I imagine it's a bit of a difficult space to occupy as a, as a white man. No, it it's, <laughs> it's goes a little differently to that. Mm. Um, I think the word draws needs parsing or something. Mm. Uh, 
Firstly, uh, IMDb is wrong. Oh. I did not direct 12 Canoes or any of... Oh, it does pop up with you. Oh, yes, yeah. I know, I know. I was thinking, I don't even think I've seen that one. No, 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 yeah. no. Molly has uh, directed that, mm. uh, my partner Molly Reynolds, and and she conceived the whole 12 Canoes oh. project and well. I did some writing on yes. some of those. Yeah. But certainly didn't direct yes. them. And I know that needs amended. IMDb is wrong. Um, the... the Okay, I had the opportunity to become engaged with the Indigenous community when I was commissioned to write a screenplay um, about, meant to be about, a French cabin boy falling overboard and being washed up on the beach uh, pre-contact. Uh, and um, I worked on that and it meant going to Hope Vale community and working with people there and I learnt a great deal. I mean, the, the, the project didn't ever get finished even as a script but um, I, I learnt patience. The first week I was there, there were two funerals on and you couldn't mm. get to speak to anybody. Um, and I, I learnt respect um, and I began to grapple with uh, that project, for example. Uh, it felt to me to be utterly wrong mm. um, for the cabin boy to be the, his perspective of the whole thing, that it's much more interesting if it was uh, the mob's perspective of, mm. of the cabin boy and that the, they would, like, uh, at the time I think the there was... Dances with Wolves was an important film, but for me it had this catastrophic contrivance where in three months um, when you know, the, the Kevin Costner character was living with the mob there mm. that um, all the mob learnt English and that's what happened and, and of course it doesn't happen that way mm. um, the Kevin Costner character would have learnt the Native American language and that's how it would have happened mm. and so already grappling with that at the time and it was just an introduction in a way then uh, the tracker was really the first time I did and that was to begin with uh, it was not a, um, it was not. A, a, I don't know what, what happened there. I was doing the research on on the cabin boy thing, mm. and it it taught me a whole different history of Australia than the one I was used to. Um, and the at the time, I was also thinking about making a low budget film that in in a very particular way because of the stuff that I'd done on Dingo and, and how that had gone and what was great about shooting with a small crew and a steady cam and mm. how that worked. And During that, re that, that research on, on, on for, for the Cabin Boy story, um, one afternoon a thought came to me and the tracker just poured out as a, mm. as a, as a treatment you know, it was 12 pages double-spaced. And, 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 and 
it was intended to be violent and all of that sort of stuff, and you know, it, and it just fitted that model of making a film, which is which is why I sort of it. it but it was ten years before I, I actually did it, um, and then it was you know it was as much a white story as it was was a, an Aboriginal story, and I cut but I cast David Gulpilil because and I cast him before I'd met him because he was the best. <laughs> he was so great. He was yes. so good. Uh, and it was not a question for me. Mm. Now, um, when I met David, I understood that I had difficulties here because I, I had nothing to say to him. I didn't know what to say to him mm. when I met him. And I realised it was because we shared nothing in common. We had nothing in common culturally. And, and I was, he was like an alien to me in a way. And at the end of that, that meeting, he, he asked me to come and visit him up in his country. And I thought, yes, well, I have to do that. And I did. And it was very difficult. And I learned that he asks practically, he used to ask practically everybody, but nobody <laughs> ever did it because it was all too difficult. To get there? To get there. Mm. And, 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 you know, somebody throws an invitation like that out, you don't follow up on it, mm. but mostly. But I had to, and so I was the first one who did of, of, of David's film. What, what year was this? This was uh, year 2000. Yeah, um, right. And I spent a week with David up there and it shifted things for, for mm. me. But the tracker stayed what it was. But it began this process of David asking me to make a film with him and his mob on his country mm. and... and, and I was never going to do it because I knew how difficult it was up there. I'd been there for that week and there were so many mosquitoes and so many crocodiles <laughs> and so much mud and, and such difficulty communicating mm. that I thought it was impossible, never going, going to do it. Well, in the end I did and it was ten canoes. Mm. And so that was the second one but it was really David pleading with me to come up there and make that film. Um, and then... The other, the, the next one I did was Charlie's Country. The next mm. one of those I did was Charlie's Country, uh, and I made a number of films in between. Um, and Charlie's Country was again, it was David, and and he was in jail. And when I asked him, when I visited him, and when I asked him, what was he going to do? What did he want to do? Mm. And the only thing he wanted to do was make another film with me. Yeah. Um, and and it's it was the only thing I could do for him. Yeah. And so. It's not so much that I was drawn mm. to these stories. It's that uh, David drew me to him and then made sure I kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ten Canoes for me just remains so, – it's amazing. I love that comparison that you're noting Dances with Wolves. That just feels like a world away from from the approach that you've got in Ten Canoes. And the fact that it was so – at the time, shocking. And, I mean, it hasn't really been repeated, this film that's just all in Indigenous language. It was really quite so powerful. And I feel that with Survival of Kindness, you're doing something really interesting again with dialogue. And I, I want to kind of do a deeper dive in, into the Survival of Kindness. Now, Majami, your, your character, I'm mentioning before the song break, your character um, of black woman, She's not given many lines of dialogue at all. Um, mm. I, you're a non-actor. 
How how did you even begin to understand her story or, you know, without any dialogue mm. or any points? Yeah, when I met Rolf uh, for the first time, they explained how um, the character will be and how it everything is. So they gave me the script and I read the script and I saw, um, I understood a little bit of the uh, the black woman Um uh, where I struggle, I went back and I, I Rolf explained because even the idea of reading script was new idea to me mm. because I never knew how they act, how the role will be. So after I understood a little bit of the character, non-verbal, she's not going to to talk at all. It's a long distance walk and everything. I I found it is simple and mm. easy because I will use only myself and who I am and be confident and mm. that's how it, it was. And uh, where I needed clarifications, Rolf was there to clarify and I was just me. And I think um, where I needed to smile, I smiled just like how I smile always. And mm. when I understood it's sad to act as uh, you feel sad, then I had to do it as, yeah. Mm. Mm. I, I was thinking that one of the key storylines in the survival of, of kindness is, as as the title suggests, about surviving tremendous mm. hardship. Um, now, I understand, like, I did a, a bit of research um, about with uh, mm-hmm. going into your backstory. I know there's obviously not a lot on you because you are a non-actor, but I understand in 1996 you were forced to mm. uh, le- flee your village yeah. with your husband and, and young children yeah. um, and, and you made your way to a refugee camp um, yeah. in Tanzania, which took uh, yeah. over six months. Was it difficult sitting with these themes and events of the film when you have such close personal experience with mm. surviving tremendous mm. hardship? It was not difficult, but it was such of reminding myself of where I come from mm. and the connection I have with um, black woman. It was not difficult, but at the same time, uh, it reminded me because I had to connect myself and my experience with a black woman. Uh, for example, um, the walking, um, the big des- distance of walking, that was very easy. And um, when I was walking, I was comparing myself on how I left and how I escaped. Mm. And uh, when, for example, when I had to leave uh, the other young girl at the lake there and I cried, that mm. was um, a real connection deeply inside myself on how I left my country and uh, I went to Tanzania and now I had connections with this young girl. Uh, we have to leave her here as I did when I left my country. I left many of friends and relatives behind. Mm. So there was sort of connection in between and that's how it made me crying. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's um it's a tremendous um as we mentioned before, your performance is is really tremendous, and it's it's so interesting hearing what you're bringing to this. And and sometimes when we're talking about the acting craft, mm. 
it's really hard to compare that to just personal experience of being able to really understand mm. or put yourself in that position. And and what my Jamie actually does also bring to it is mm. is something that that is um, treasured in the acting craft mm. is an ability to what they call be in the moment. It's an ability to very quickly get to that point. Mm. Um, and and in that sense, she's completely natural in, in, mm. in this. Yeah. yeah, I completely concur. Um, Thank you, Rod, for adding <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, now, Anna, with... with um, with the soundscape, it's so it's good, um, the score. Sorry, it's so interesting because we, we've talked a lot about the way in which dialogue remains throughout the survival of kindness, either unintelligible or unsubtitled. Um, this means, like we said before, that the score has this huge responsibility as this oral storyteller for each scene. What did you did you have this idea of how you were going to approach the storytelling aspect of the score? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, yeah, you're right. Without the dialogue, you have to draw upon, you know, other imagery. And um, very early on when Rolf and I were, were chatting about the film, um, we discussed, um, you know, this and that. But it was when I saw the first rough cut in Adelaide um, on the screen there was no placeholder music. It was there was some sound design and and watched the film and um, came out of the cinema and suddenly um, you know I started to have then then my work began because mm. I experienced it um, and Rolf and I were discussing um, the film and I remember us having conversation and I said something like oh you know my I feel like my job as the composer is to now you know I decide on what the sa- the silence of this film sounds like mm. because one of the first things I said to Rolf when we were in the foyer I was like are you sure you want music like I just felt like <laughs> it was such a powerful visual yeah. treat you know I was just like um okay <laughs> so I you know the the you know I, I didn't want to just decorate mm. the the film you know really um um yeah wanted to weave into it if you like. And so conceptually there was that starting point. Mm. Then, of course, there's finding the palette, you know, mm. what am I going to use? And, you know, then the journey started from there. And as a First Nations woman, what kind of what was it like scoring this story in which you have mm. black woman at the centre who, who does experience, like I said, so much hardship and tremendous cruelty sometimes at the hands of these masked white people you know, it's a terribly upsetting films in a, a film in some of these scenes. So, well, was that a difficult process? For well, that's you? interesting because that depends on your worldview. So, I sort of came out like I um, the the parts that people talk about being so upsetting and distressing. Unfortunately, I have a sort of normalised view of that mm. in terms of being First Nations. Well, I just am. Who you know? Yes, I am. But I and I bring that. So it's not sort of a you know, intellectual exercise or anything. So I come from my worldview. So just to, to put that in, um, talk about that. So in the film, um, there are some, there's imagery that people do have a reaction to. And, and I remember noticing that after coming out and with the first audience, which was in South Australia, 
was the team and everything. And, and the response was, oh, that's, oh, my God. And like you just described. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I think there's something more here, you know. Yeah. Like, like if that's the first response, then as a composer, the film's already doing something. And maybe mm. as a composer I don't need to sing into that song, mm. you know. What else is happening? So I was at home and I, you know, received the, the draft of the film and I'm watching it, watching it again and again and again. And the thing about the film for me, and I saw it again last night and I watched a different film again, mm. cried in a different spot, had a completely different response. And mm. it is a, it is a, it's like a shadow, this film. It, it echoes. And I, it, I really recommend people seeing it a couple of times because it, it will res- resonate differently, mm. especially once you see it once and then you watch it again. So I was watching the film at home and something that struck me um, in some of the scenes, which moved me viscerally, you know, when mm. you have that, that response. And that, the, to me that's where my intelligence is in, is in, is in those bodily responses often, um, were, were the moments of kindness. Mm. Um, an expression from Wajemi, you know, a black woman in the film and these interactions that, are, you know, sometimes pragmatic and transactional, you know, it's not a sentimentality or anything like that, but it's something that is counter to these other imagery, this imagery. And I was thinking about, um, you know, scoring into those softer parts of the film um, and I guess in terms you asked me about, you know, my, my cultural identity, things like that, my lived experiences... You know, I really want to speak, uh, you know, speak to the humanity, the strength, the mm. wisdom, the survival, um, you know, the, the strength-based perspective, but really shoot from the heart mm. um, because, you know, you know, it's it's not a trauma story. It's, mm. it's a, it is about the conversation and it struck me, you know, I was thinking about it the other day and I thought, geez, you know, this film's, I was thinking, this film's really good because... These images of power in society, yeah. we don't get... That's normalised. You know, it looks like a detention centre. It looks like a hospital sometimes. It can look like a university. You know, these power mm. systems... You know, that you, you, so to see it sort of in film, I hope, you know, starts the conversation... Mm. You know, well, it does start a conversation because we were at dinner after the film last night and I tell you what, everybody had something to say. Yeah. And I really reckon speaking about not speaking that because there's no dialogue to kind of go back and say, well, you know, she said that and that means that, it's that, mm. it, it just hums, you mm. know, with so many possibilities. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure mm. story that I used to read when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I feel like you've, you've touched upon so many really um, just firstly, I really love that you rescripted that there where I'm, I'm focusing as a white woman on, on all of these, you know, scenes of hardship and how, how much discomfort I feel. I feel like that t- taps into very much a sense of white guilt and really there are, on the flip side, these beautiful pre- presentations of strength and resilience that, uh, like you say, hum throughout this film. So I think that's a really important uh, clarification to make. And you definitely feel that in the score that you've created. There's there's so much texture there and so much movement. And something I was thinking about that, you know, a lot of the narrative is about this black woman being contained, but really with the score you're allowed there's – there's another story being told and there's it's kind of other spaces. So I wonder how space – fitted into your concept of how you're going to score this film? Oh, 
Of course, you know, it's multi-dimensional and, and the, you know, that's what sound does. Like mm. I mentioned before, that's why I started making it. I wanted to go into those other direction, in those other directions. Um, you know, so in terms of um, space, you've got the the length of the film, you know, that's one version of space, but then you've got these incredible landscapes. You've got mm. the, 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 the internal space, there's breathing and feet walking, you know, there's all these sounds and the sound design, you know, is, is, is a oh, great part of the film yeah. as well um, with Tom and Adam and, yeah, and working on that. And um, so space, spatially it's... I keep coming back to the body, you know, and that's why I chose stringed instruments and they were broken stringed instruments, which was also an intention. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So that, well, early on, you know, I was talking about finding the palette and, mm. you know, you can use anything to make sound and music and, you know, lots of instruments and lots of objects. Um, and, yeah, I found um, a, a, a broken electric guitar under my stairs that I hadn't played ever. I plugged it into an acoustic amp strummed it and that's when I felt and saw the film like it was like a visual and it was an experience and I explored that and went deeper Mm. into that and so that was how the score Mm. came about I used some voice as well but as an instrument yeah um yeah well the film that we are discussing is the survival of kindness and Anna you touched uh, briefly there on, on location Rolf I did want to ask you a bit about the location now there's There is, um, in the notes for the film, it says that everywhere on earth there are people like this one and the mountain that must be climbed by them is very steep. Now, I understand the film initially had the working title of The Mountain. So was this image of the mountain as as a symbol of kind of the ongoing battle against racism something that prompted and shaped the writing process or was that something that came to you once the film was already complete and you were able to reflect on the story? <clears throat> no, I think it's from the beginning. Mm. Um, the mountain that must be climbed by them is very steep. You just look at the difficulties facing just in our country, mm. let alone in so many other countries differently, but the same thing. Um, the difficulties, the extra amount of difficulties that that Indigenous people have, you know, it's that's what it is. Mm. Um, I began the whole process of writing by looking for locations because I didn't know what to make this film about. Mm. And I began by looking at Kunanyi, which is Mount Wellington at the back of Hobart. Yes, which I've is seen this up there. great. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a great mountain, mm. lots of walking tracks and and I just began to explore it. Mm. Um, and it wasn't long before yeah, I thought, well, I'll just call it the mountain because, you know, that mm. works. And, and it kept working. Um, but by the time we were close to finishing, um, Khan had been on and... There was a film in Director's Fortnight that was called The Mountain yes. that won the prize. <laughs> there was a film called Eight Mountains that won the jury prize in competition. <laughs> there was a film called The Mountain Being Made in New Zealand. And so it went. Yeah. Um, and so it became clear 
that we really had to think of the, another title. But and you I, have the visual still of the mountain. Oh yes, oh yes, which is dominant. Yeah, yes, it it's is. such a and dominant it's, and it's still it's still yes. the same thing. You mm. know, the, the mountain that must be climbed, etc. But the, but then the title actually came from the conversations that I'd had with Anna. Oh uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I credit Anna really with the title because she brought those concepts. She articulated those concepts mm. uh, in a way that, that I understood them and I thought, yes, it's really, that's correct. That's yes. That's the way that I wish to see the film. What, what do you think, uh, just based on, on, on kind of this discussion, what do, you, what do you think is the function of hope in these narratives of, of, of survival? <laughs> um, Big question I to finish off. <laughs> no, I think we should ask Anna because she can mm. articulate these things much better than I can. And I, I avoid articulating and yes. intellectualising yeah. when I'm doing this stuff. And yeah. so, yeah. Well, I guess it's a paradox. I find hope. Um, yeah, I, I don't see it on its own ever. I always feel like how do, as humans do we hold the paradox of hope and despair or you know mm. choose your choose your words um so you have choice i guess mm. and um you know i think my jemmy put it really well and she's like you know just give it give it a go yes you know, <laughs> you know just just try try something try it do it you know um mm. i think that's the heart of hope right yeah. right there you know and and um yeah but I mean, for me, it's. I mean, I'm even feeling it now. You know, it's mm. it's not a it's not a easy thing to define, and um, I don't know really what it is. Jimmy, do you have any? Yeah, uh, when when the titles the mountain, because I I I go to the mountain very often and I enjoy walking, hiking, so. I was happy and I was just me and, and I, yeah, it's a mountain, I'm walking. So it was very easy and simple. But when Rolf um, called me and maybe I, I think he, he sent an email to everyone that the title needs to be changed and the title will be now uh, The Survival of Kindness. Wow. Then something came to my mind and I felt everything of um, black woman suffering and everything came in mind and I started crying. Mm. I cried. I was happy with a new title and I said, now it makes sense to me. Mm. To me, it really made sense than the mountain. Mm. And I, 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 I compare my, my life and the black woman and I start crying. And I remember I texted Rolf, the title made me cry. Yeah. I think that's so powerful and it's really lovely that how that is reflected in the conversation we've had tonight mm. where we were focusing, you know, the mountain in some ways it focuses on the struggle <laughs> rather than the survival. Mm. And it's a, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. But, um, yeah, a really powerful mm. um Difference, I yeah, think. and it made it really made sense straight and said, Yes, this is the, the mm. title now. Now mm. I understand. But when it was the mountain, I was mm, mountain, yeah, oh, yeah, 
walking. <laughs> yeah, but when they changed the titles, wow. Yes. And now uh, uh, straight, I saw the black woman and all the suffering. Mm. I saw and 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 I say to myself now this is a really title and it makes sense with the film. Mm. Yeah. On tonight's show, we have focused in, done a very close di- uh, deep dive into the survival of kindness, which opens in cinemas around Australia on May four. Uh, I've been joined in the studio tonight by lead actor Majami Hussein, composer Annie Liebzeit and writer-producer and director, Rolf Tahir. Rolf, before we wrap up, I, I just feel like we have to give a shout-out to the fantastic crew that you had working on The Survival of Kindness with you. Um, the, the film is just beautifully shot. Um, Max Corkendale, first time on a feature-length film. How did, yeah, tell us, some, <laughs> we've only got a little while left. But. Not only Max, whose yeah. first film it was, it was on the shooting crew. There was, on average, there were nine people on, on set. Um, there was perhaps only the focus puller had ever worked on a feature before. Um, and they were young. Mm. You know, uh, here in the studio here, we've got three of the oldest people on the, on the crew. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not that Jamie. old. No, 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 that's right. I mean, at one stage I... My I... Jamie for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I think it's really important right. to touch upon that. At, so at, many first times. At, at, at one times. point I looked at the production designer, the uh, costume designer and the sound designer and they're standing there talking to each other. I'm older than the three of them put together. <laughs> <laughs> That's how incredible it was. Yeah. They had such energy and such passion. Yeah. And, and the editor, he's a young bloke, 27, and it was a wonderfully balanced crew. Yeah. You know, there, was, there was around about an equal number of men and women. Um, numbers of, of heads of the department were First Nations, first time, and all of them. It's the first time they did it. Um, and, you know, on, on first time they did a feature. We had mentors, uh, and they were the old fogies that I used to work with, uh, and who you know who came to the fore and said, "Yeah, okay, yeah," and who were mentors only to the extent that the mentees wished them to be. Yeah. Um, and and so because uh, you know for me it would have been horrible for people to fail. We had to make sure that people. <laughs> Yeah. confidence and didn't fail well, you, and then it would be fantastic and it was fantastic you de- yeah you most definitely have not failed with no, the survival of kindness no, it is a no, remarkable I, film yeah i look at it i, and I think it's a miracle yes you know, and i i think it does speak to the fact that you have all these fantastic uh you have a fantastic crew fantastic collaborator collaborators fantastic lead actor and fantastic score. I highly recommend for listeners to check out The Survival of Kindness. It is coming out on May 4. Um, (coughs) Rolf, Anna, Majami, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Flick. You're listening. Thank you very much, Flick. My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And Anna... (laughs) The Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 